Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Here's the thing. Noble Knight has been supporting the Tome Show for a really long time now. They provide a great service. They'll sell you new products, but they specialize in finding old and out-of-print things. If you've got something that you want to buy, if you've got something you want to sell or get store credit for, Noble Knight is a great way to go. We've done a lot of crazy ads over the years to try to get your attention and let you know about Noble Knight. And if you don't know about them by now, you're not paying attention or you're a new listener. Welcome. I was just sitting here lamenting a dilemma dramatically. Noble 90s in online game store. Or old classic. New and shiny. And so the debate classic. continues since the dawn New of gaming. Sh- Hello. Hello, citizens. Oh, thank goodness. Adventurers. We need a noble knight. Remember when a Sarak built a tomb in Greyhawk? Noble Knight does. But just straight up, Noble Knight. They provide a great service. You need stuff. They got stuff. Old, new, all of it. Go check them out. Let them know the Tome Show sent you. For all your gaming needs, NobleKnight.com. There are a lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days. Veggies, movies, meat pet toys, artisanal jams, collectibles, RPGs, pictures of cool places, music, butter, dice. Wait, what? There is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete. A monthly subscription service for dice? Dice Envy has subscription services for dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Welcome to this edition of the D&D Roundtable. Today, we're going to be talking about the hot new setting for D&D called Eberron. Of course, it's not entirely new. Eberron was created by uh, Keith Baker as part of a Wizards of the Coast fantasy setting competition in 2002. Eberron was chosen out of more than 10 or 15,000 entries. It was officially released in 2004, and the setting book was written by Keith Baker, Bill Slavicek, and James Wyatt. However, just recently, yesterday, Wizards of the Coast has announced that they will be uh, publishing Eberron again. So far, what we have is a nearly 200-page PDF in the DMs Guild that Mike Merles uh, says that they will be updating with the results of playtest and eventually perhaps taking to print on demand. Our guests tonight are Katie Cole. Ryan Wicks, and Sean Merwin. Uh, Hey, Sean, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, I am a Wizards of the Coast freelancer. I've been doing gaming uh, design, editing, development for about 20 years. Uh, I worked on the third edition living campaign for Uh, Eberron called Zendric Expeditions. So I have been a huge fan of the setting since the start, and I am very excited that the new setting is out and we all get to partake of it for 5th edition. All right, and Katie, why don't you tell us uh, and our guest a little bit, uh, well, and our listeners too, a little bit about yourself. Hi, um, I've been DMing and playing D&D for... Oh gosh, about eight years now. Uh, I love Eberron. Um, 
and I really enjoy playing and running D and D. Ryan, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, my name's Ryan Wicks. I refer to myself as a nerd generalist, uh, specifically for d and I've been playing um, since about 1999, a bit of second edition and uh, pretty much every edition between. Uh, after college, I came back home to Atlanta and became active in the community here, starting with Pathfinder and moving into 5e. Um, uh, for about the last 10 years. And um, besides that, I'm an avid rap fan. And what's currently making me happy is American Ninja Warrior. Well, that sounds like a pretty good background on, you know, a diverse cast here that we've got assembled to get into a little bit more on Eberron. So we're going to kind of go through a little bit of basic stuff. Paige gave a pretty good rundown on the overall history of it. It's been around a little while, like we said. But kind of want to get into some more general stuff. Uh, so Eberron is different from Forgotten Realms, which is what we've been using for all of 5e so far, with the exception of Curse of Strahd, if we wanted to consider it as another setting as well, kind of in and of itself. But Eberron is completely different, well not completely, but different in that it's not so much traditional high fantasy like people think of with the Forgotten Realms, it's kind of based on the Tolkien aspects of it, but it's a bit more... um, well, I think Keith kind of describes it best, like right in the intro of the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Uh, it embraces that swashbuckling action and pulp adventure and adds kind of a layer of neo-noir intrigue. So it's got uh, a little bit of different kind of take on magic and religion. And, and, how- and that different take on magic is one of the things that really sets it apart from places like Tolkien style D&D where magic is very rare, Conan style D&D where magic is very rare, versus Forgotten Realms where magic is pretty common, whereas in Eberron, magic uh, I mean, to put it in the to put it in the rule backwards, any sufficiently advanced magic is indistinguishable from technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big thing about Eberron is that there's a lot of little magics and not as many big magics. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's a very good point. Um, and I think probably Sean would have the best you know, insight into the differences in the way magic works um, since you've been working in it before and kind of recently. Right. The, the way they use magic in Eberron is the way that they are able to get these different genres to come in. So you can't really have a pulp genre in in a in a low magic setting because you need you know trains and you need airships and you need you know the dirigibles of of World War Two and, and all of those things that go into into a noir setting or a a setting that does things the way Eberron does it you need that kind of low level background magic so that is really where that difference is I think between the Forgotten Realms and and Eberron, if you're going to just compare those those two, um, the dragon marks are a good example of a way that you can show how a, a caste system is almost set up based on this little bit of magic that that goes through certain houses. So they have just a little bit of magic, just enough to separate people who can uh, be hotel owners, you know, uh, hospitalers, uh, they've just got that little bit of magic that separates them from the everyday average person. And, and all of that kind of wraps itself up into this setting uh, to, to show what it's trying to do on the larger scale. Yeah, absolutely. One of the coolest things I've uh, liked about this setting is how it ties uh, kind of everything together, but specifically since we're talking about magic, how it ties that into the cosmology as well. And, um, you know, Keith took uh, efforts to make his plane or his planet um, different, you know, specifically. And so the magic ties into, you know, 
the way the planet is formed, the moons, you know, the creation myth, and um, the the items. Um, and you know, for instance, you mentioned the um, dragon marks. There's also dragon shards, so magical crystals that sort of give uh, ubiquity to uh, magic items as well. So I, I really enjoy how it blends it all together. One thing I was also going to say is uh, Eberron is really nice for turning a lot of the D&D tropes that we've had for 30 or 40 years and turning them on their heads. One thing in particular is they've completely divorced alignment from species. So, for instance, not all gold dragons are lawful good. Some can be chaotic evil. Another place where they divorced alignment and sort of role is within the... Uh, main churches or temples your deity might be lawful good but there's not strong restrictions on the uh, clergy of that particular deity being any particular alignment it's because most of the time healing is dependent on magic and less again less with uh, deities like you don't usually get your healing magic from them you get them from your dragon mark and so um the I think it's it's great to also divorce it from the uh, player characters, too. I love the fact that in this setting you can have a halfling dinosaur-riding barbarian. Mm-hmm. And, and they can be just as badass and evil as, uh, you know, uh, your run-of-the-mill drow in, uh, in uh, Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and the, the the monstrous races as well are treated differently. Instead of just being, you know, your hordes of orcs or kobolds or hobgoblins, um, they they all have their own sort of feel, their own sort of backstory, and in some cases, even their own political uh, entity, uh, their own nations within the within the uh, the setting. So I think that's that's another way in which that trope is sort of turned around on us. Oh yeah, the goblins used to be major uh, major players and they were kind of uh, disrupted and now they're kind of uh, angry about that, but they've got a reason to be angry. It's not just we're evil, we're bad guys. Yeah, yeah they, they were the most civilized race before mm. the, the humans came onto the scene. So yeah, yeah, they they're kind of the the waning civilization as the uh, human civilization is the waxing one. Yeah, yeah. going along with uh, the couple of points you all just made with the um, alignment being um, a little shaken on his head, as well as um, the different look at the various races or species and their histories in the world and how they're um, treated, you know, how they treat each other. Uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the world building as far as the different nations and their different political interactions um, and really allows, you know, also goes in with the pulp feel and with the um, noir feel in regards to you can have, you know, secrets between nations. You can have, you know, this Cold War feel um, that he brings into it uh, and, and with the history of the of the planet as well um and the the last war being that major element that sort of gives gms a way to contextualize their their start of their campaign you know this war um lasted the last hundred years it's only been over for a few years so the feeling of uh, you know the tenuous relationships and alliances among the various nations that that he set up uh is one of the really cool things i think sets this apart from a lot of the other uh, settings that have come out yeah precisely that's why i love it so much because the realms has that but it's never been highlighted like it is in in eberron uh, we always get for the realms we always get you know the sword coast and there are these kind of city states as you go up and down but there's never big wars between them it doesn't seem and and in this uh setting not only is that ever present but it just happened and then they also have the uh the dragon mark houses which uh, by almost equally with the uh, nations for power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it gives really the like players that. it gives the players a lot of accessible groups. 
uh, I feel like in the Forgotten Realms, we've kind of had to pick five factions, but there's no loyalty to city, particularly there's no loyalty to country. But in Eberron, it seems like there's a much larger focus on who are you working for? Mm-hmm. What is your homeland? How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. And I think it was smart to also tie that in with the uh, mechanical element of the dragon marks that the players can choose to take on. Uh, which is one of the things I thought was pretty neat in the just-released um, book, uh, where he, he went into the the ways mechanically that you can get a dragon mark, and you know how that is balanced with your uh, with your character race choice. Yeah, I'm glad we got a lot more races: uh, changelings, warforged, Kalstar. Kalsh- Mm-hmm. And shifters, I love them all. I'm really excited about them. Yeah, I'm personally very excited for the new races as well. The changelings specifically are, were always, when I was reading through the lore, absolutely, you know, riveting to me because yes. they've got such a varied life story. They come from such, you know, crazy backgrounds and stuff, nomadic tribes, um, and they just kind of, they're kind of a wild card out there, you know? You you just never really know what you're going to get. Yeah, and the idea that there are changelings out there kind of colors the entire world. Like, I know we've got doppelgangers and stuff uh, in other settings, but, like, the fact that a changeling could be anyone at any time is kind of scary. It gives me that whole Battlestar Galactica Cylon feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> Until you discover that a fair number of the changelings are actually on your side, mm-hmm. and that uh, that cute uh, gnome girl that you thought was in your party is actually a changeling, which you find out much later on. And then you realize, wait, she's still identifies as a cute gnome girl, right? We can still... (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Just the fact that changelings are a common species out there, you know, again, is one of the things that gives it this underpinning of intrigue around every corner and surprise. It seems like that's one of the main key things he was trying to um, instill in the setting in all the books definitely teaches you to not to take everything and accept it at its face value. Very noir, let's mm-hmm. say, right? <laughs> yes, very noir. Yes. Yeah. Do not perhaps judge these books by their covers. Right. <laughs> and if we're going to talk about races, we have to talk about the Warforged, right? Oh so my let's, God, that's yes. the elephant in the room. Let's just yeah. get it out. <laughs> Jay Teeter, I appreciate you. <laughs> So Teeter has been following me around on the internet for two days now, and every time I mention the Warforged, he posts the this meme of this gull yelling Warforged. Like, and and we we've had a couple threads asking, "Hey, what are you looking forward most to in Warp in Eberron?" And I swear to you, a third of the answers are Warforged. People are super psyched for these. Or I think that's an appropriate ratio. Or people yeah. yeah, I agree. It. There's not really a nice middle ground right now. They're they're really swinging wildly one way or the other. But yeah. Warforged are super unique to Eberron, so you can't really ignore that. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the funny thing about Warforged is when 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 the original book came out for third edition, and we were going getting ready to do the the living campaign for it, I thought, well, this you know this is going to be pretty cool, and so I would go to a convention and run. You know, eight tables uh, at a convention, and every table would have a Warforged, and every one of them was Bender from Futurama. What? <laughs> my, my shiny and, metal. <laughs> and this, per- you know, the player would sit down all proud of themselves because they're like, "Yeah, I'm nobody's going to be playing Bender," and they start their their shtick, and I'd be like, "Dude." You're you're the eighth bender I've had this convention, so <laughs> so I know it's funny and, and everything, but it's not. Well, I didn't unique. know anybody about any clamps. Give them the clamps, boss. <laughs> yeah. So just for our listeners who might not have much experience with Eberron, can somebody go through and talk about the Warforged and kind of what they are and where they came from and what they mean for the society at large in Eberron? Okay. Yeah. So uh, a 
I'll give a brief summary, and then I'll probably let Sean fill in the gaps or, or somebody else. But the Warforge were built to fight in the last war. So kind of that big war that shaped everyone. They were forged as mindless automatons um, originally, but uh, one of the main houses of Eberron, House Caneth, um, put a lot of time and effort into improving them, into making them these fully sentient soldiers, like a blend of organic and inorganic uh, materials, uh, primarily wood and metal. But they are, like I said, sentient, so they have those feelings, uh, emotions, pain, anger, you know, sadness, rage, whatever. So after the war kind of ended, though, Warforged were kind of just left out there, you know, dangling in the wind without a, a bit of purpose. Um, and so when you really look at a Warforged, though, what you really see there is it almost looks more like a, I would say, like a mechanical creation than a living being, which sure. it, it well and truly is. And so, you know, a, a, a lot of people in the in the world of Eberron kind of, you know, take it for take them for granted and, you know, don't really consider that they are living sentient beings. Mm-hmm. Um They've got a lot of history, though. Um, specifically, how they got their rights and stuff. Yeah, no. So they, um, there was a treaty of Thronehold uh, that gave them their freedom and kind of t- t- took them away from being uh, servitudes of the, the, you know, the houses and stuff, like merely their servants to fight in the battle. Um, but yeah, no. Um, like I said, I'm probably leaving out uh, a lot of it, so feel free to chime in. No, no you well, covered I'm... exactly what I would have. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, I just wanted to expand upon that and just say the thematically um, how all that ties in so well with the world. Again, the themes of you know this feeling of a, a, a post World War society and the Warforged tie in perfectly to that. Uh, now that, of course, the war's uh, ended and there's this tenuous peace, the Warforged have been given their freedom. They're allowed to go out in the world, make their mark, and do whatever they, you know, self-determine their life's purpose to be. But that has that carries a lot of thematic weight to it, um, you know, and you can name any number of real-world parallels of, you know, the soldier with probably PTSD who is struggling to find their place in the world. You can bring you know, metaphors of human slavery and trafficking into that and the, you know, scars that that uh, leaves, you know, its victims with, um, you know, prejudice, all kinds of different um, metaphors that you can really play with that really help to make this really mature world. So Warforge is one of the coolest things to me. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'm sorry, Paige, also the, uh, you know, the just getting your sentience, where did it come from? And, and who are you when you were just this sort of machine before is also one other theme that blends well with uh, with what Brian just said. Another interesting thing that is a difference between Eberron then and Eberron now is uh, we've looked at Westworld, which everyone which is you know a hit show a lot of people have seen it a lot of people were really moved by it and it's going to be interesting to see how that interfaces with the stories that are going to be coming out because people are a little more educated about the idea of does it have a soul is it really there just for my convenience Mm -hmm. so i'm super excited about that yeah and another way to look at the the race is mechanically a game mechanically because it is very different than from any of the other uh, races because they are they don't can't be poisoned and don't have to breathe and don't have to eat and so that gives an interesting and sometimes hard to wrangle game space uh, to to put this this race into um, it can be easily overpowered or easily break certain battles or certain traps or you know things like that but it also gives a lot of space to how is it built can you put extra plating on for armor and how do you how you know, how do you do that can you have could you add weapons to it um 
to make the the weapons instead of arms and and what does that do do you do a feat is it a a sort of a race uh, a class thing that you should do so there's an interesting mechanical space that a lot of people say on the dm's guild will be able to play with now that they have access to this uh, content No, I absolutely agree. And like the Warforged themselves, uh, I mean, if you're, you know, looking at the, the guide to the artwork on them is just beautiful. And there's several different, uh, I guess, subtypes of Warforged. So it kind of like they've specialized them for what it is that they're supposed to do mm-hmm. out, out in the world. So that kind of gives them like an interesting mechanic in and of itself. Now what you said about the not having to rest, they don't have to sleep but they've got to take an inactive motionless state. So let's not go getting hasty thinking that oh, while everyone else is sleeping I'm going to do all this other stuff. No, no. <laughs> You've still got to you, 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 you must take the long rest action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but they don't have to spend money on food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that now that is cool, and you know they're less likely to freeze to death in extreme temperatures or mm-hmm. or you know over. Well, I don't know. I feel like a machine should overheat, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. But maybe it's because they're technically like it's because it's not all machines. plants or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no. You can still catch on fire though. That is yes. true. that is true. You 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 can burn it with fire. Kill it with fire is always a valid option. Okay, no matter what my DM tells me. Please don't kill my Warforged character with fire. I, I would never. I definitely would do that as a thing. I would. Do. You totally would. Yep. The whole uh, fill the room with water uh, trap though is is now. Mm-hmm. No, you've got you've to gotta go for the fill the room with water that's actually alcohol, so someone cast a fireball. There you go. What? That was, like that every was, single time. Like every, every single time. time. Exactly. That was one of the Storm King Thunder modules, and that made me laugh every time. Someone's like, oh, uh, gosh, we're drowning. Um, mm. I'm going to evaporate it, and I'm like, hey, do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it mm. yeah okay though um so i mean that's kind of i think we've covered the elephant in the room then though but um what would you say probably is the most important thing that you think someone new to eberron should know uh ryan we'll, we'll start with you well uh i do want to mini side before we move on give yeah, a no, huge shout out to uh you mentioned the art for the Warforge specifically, but in general for this setting, they've uh, employed Wayne A. Reynolds uh, to great measure. I think his art for the setting is incredible and gives the uh, so much of the tone of it. Uh, and I'm so glad they got him back for the source book. No, of course. The source book is great. The art on it is great. Totally looking forward to even more wonderful Eberron stuff, more wonderful Eberron art. Um stuff in the same style for stuff that goes up on the DMs Guild and other future publications. Like, I just like D&D art. I mean, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah but his his art is a real particular style. Ryan, do you know that they've definitely got new art in the, in the source book? I haven't done the page-by-page comparison. Well, uh, you might catch me on some of my knowledge of the previous source books, but it appears that there's new stuff to me, although I can definitely see some recycled pieces as well. Um, so I cannot quote you for sure on that one. Now there's you're some gonna, pieces I haven't seen for that way. Now you're going to make me waste my day at work tomorrow comparing them, Paige. Look what you've done. It's not a waste. It's not a waste. Um... Yeah, I guess, you know, something important for someone new to the setting to know, um, you know, this is a tip I would give if I were the GM uh, to any player uh, playing like a a long campaign or hopefully a home game, something like that. I would um, tell people specifically, though, for this world, really uh, give a little bit of look into the lore. We mentioned the various groups, nations, um, and 
really see if you can tailor your PC to this world um, specifically. Give it a little more flavor. Maybe, um, you know, consider making a, a house character, you know, maybe go for that race you might not normally go for if they're in the house that seems interesting to you. Because just from a GM perspective, it seems like, um, you know, having a table of PCs who've made that little extra investment and associated themselves with some of those story elements can just give me so much more to work with. You know, the concept of um, a group of from various houses being forced to work together for some reason. You know, maybe you still have those one or two monstrous PCs or Warforged PCs, but they, you know, maybe those players have come up with what nation they come from, um, you know, and, and how they feel about some of the other territories, you know, are they from Sharn? Um, so some of those lore details, I think, are worth delving into, um, even for a player who may uh, like to typically just sort of come to the table and see what world the GM presents them. Maybe take a few extra minutes and, and look into that. I think it can really help tie in um, their character to the world. No, that is an excellent point. Um, excellent advice. And I definitely think that, you know, people should consider strongly tying into the available lore that they have. Uh, Katie, what would you say that someone new to the world should know? Um... Well, this world is not necessarily like other uh, settings in that we do have sending stones. News does travel fast. There is a train. Um, so you get a little bit more of a uh, of a post-World War One feel. You get a lot more uh, travelers and a lot more homogenizing of cultures, like people coming together. So um, keep in mind how everyone's going to work together because there's going to be a lot of chafing and then there's going to be a lot of people who make it together really well and uh, a lot of trade between countries and Stuff that you wouldn't get in other, uh, or you wouldn't get in such larger um, settings. And that's a good point. The Forgotten Realms is very vast, and especially in some campaigns, you'll know it takes you many ten days to travel between your various locations. And when you get to those locations, the people there have no idea what's happened where you've been. So that's an excellent point. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, you can have, uh, I don't know, just as an example, you could have a newspaper or something because there's going to be news from Sharn or, you know, somebody's uh, seen uh, a changeling has been discovered or whatever. I mean, don't be afraid to add that stuff into your campaign. It's pretty neat to go in and be like, well, what's in the paper today? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, Sean? I think if you're going to be a DM, the first thing you want to do is pick a theme. If you if you want to run a very noir kind of, of setting, uh, then stress that to your players so they know what they're what they're doing and uh, by the same token if you're a player and your dm says i'm going to run a sharn based noir mystery kind of game do yourself yes. a favor and go watch the maltese falcon or go watch mm -hmm. casablanca uh, and get a feel for what actually inspired eberron in the first place you know or if it's going to be a political uh sort of game or a pulp sort of game then watch, go back and watch the Indiana Jones movies, and you know watch those and get that feel because that's what that's what made this campaign setting stand out from the ten to fifteen thousand other campaign settings that didn't win, and so that's what this whole uh, the whole setting's wrapped around. So you do, do yourself a favor, do a little bit of homework. It's good homework, uh, and and you know just get a feel for it. No, excellent. Paige, do you have anything that you would want players to know? Or DMs? Or DMs. 
So if I could only tell them one thing, <laughs> which would be a terrible thing, but if I could only tell them one thing, I would say the Great War just ended. Every NPC, every player was vastly affected by it. When you consider your character, when you consider your NPCs, never forget that two, three, four, five years ago, what they were doing in the war. Because no matter who they are now, who they were then matters. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. That is excellent. My one thing, I guess, and I'm really bad at checking the one thing as well. I kind of want to go into, like, the celestials gods fiends stuff like that because that's kind of a big part of like the forgotten realm stuff especially if you were really heavy into some of the stuff like they don't really exist there's nothing quite like that but don't hesitate to you know keep with that feeling and stuff like there 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 is religion there are certain fiends and celestials there are very powerful extraplanar immortals uh, just because there's not exactly the thing that you are it doesn't mean that you can't still have that sense of that foreboding super powerful evil creature um, definitely you know look up some of the 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 native mortal immortals um, on Eberron there are uh, spirits that were spawned by Kyber and Sibiris there are the overlords uh, El Shalar, Rock Yeah, the Dalcor. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Dalcor, yeah. And um, Sol Katish, as well as there were the progenitor dragons, which, you know, many mm -hmm. kind of act like the very embodiment of the divine beings, such as they, you know, normally are. Um, and then there's, um, of course, you know, some native fiends and celestials such as that are the Rakshasha or the Coatl. I mean, so there are there are options if you still want that kind of classic conflict of, you know, good versus evil represented in your monsters. So, you know, it's different. But it's not so different that you can't still have those classic tropes, like Paige said. Like, mm -hmm. A lot of them have been thrown on their heads, but like, don't feel overwhelmed because of the differences. Kind of embrace them and, and, and make them into your own story. Mm -hmm. Good point. And to tie what you just said into what Sean was talking about, as far as picking a theme for your campaign, if you do want that sort of epic, um, you know, plane-shifting sort of feel... Um, this world does have a, a wide variety of actually 13, if I recall correctly, different planes um, as part of their, you know, instead of the Great Wheel, they have this sort of orbiting feel to their um, their different realms. So, you know, their plane of fire, plane of air, plane of shadow, um, plane of madness is kind of fun and interesting. Dreams. Plane of dreams, exactly. So, and they have this system where the different planes sort of orbit the planet um uh, going along with this theme of, of 12 plus one similar to how many moons there are on the planet um but those orbiting different planes can be a plot hook or can be the arc of a whole campaign where you know perhaps a plane is coterminous with the planet that creates certain environments or certain um you know habitual things that 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 come into play if the you know though that that plane being coterminous can be your core for your campaign that can be a shift in what's going on in the world right now yeah um, and so you can bring in those angels demons that you're talking about based on that yeah for example if the if the plane of dreams is coming into conjunction with with the mortal world all the kalashtar might begin to show signs of something either becoming more powerful or, or having visions or you know, whatever you want to do. And it's a way to not just do that to the NPCs, but do it to the PCs as well. And it's, you know, it's a way to put a good twist on whatever story that you're telling with your players. No, I, I just want to state for, for the record though, I don't think Kalistar need to be more powerful. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, I don't, I don't think they do it either. And okay. So, 
kind of want to talk a little bit about, so we talked about like the main races. I want to talk about some of the other races that are found in outside of like the five nations, maybe not as popular. I know, I already know what Paige's other favorite race is going to be. Ooh, whoop. <laughs> are goats a PC race now? <laughs> no, it's, no. No, it's the other, other thing she likes. <laughs> All right, let's spill the beans. It's Knowles. It's Knowles. Yes. It's Knowles. So, I mean, there are so many, you know, other great unusual races that are available. So, I mean, Paige, you want to wax poetic about Knowles for a second and why they're amazing? I'm going to limit myself because we have a limited amount of time on this podcast. Um, uh, I'm just going to say that I like the Eberron Knolls a whole lot better than I like the current incarnation of Forgotten Realms Knolls. They're very honorable. They're kind of um, have kind of a mercenary set, but they're very alert, aware, intelligent, moral, ethical, violent predators who can keep their word and act intelligently and I love them! I love them, I love them. Yes, and I know I personally I mean, sure, maybe it's cliched, whatever, I'm super excited for Minotaurs. I mean, sure there's there's Minotaurs in the Forgotten Realms and their mazes doing their Minotaur maze stuff. But here, they're just out there in the world being badass. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I'm uh, pretty excited, excited to have a, um, a you know broader representation of them in there. Uh, not all not all minotaurs are evil and cruel, although uh, they're either eviler and crueler or better and wiser and kinder. I mean, they're just like, yeah. <laughs> Katie apparently feels the same way, but. That's not necessary. Is that your other favorite one? I love love Minotaurs. Uh, there's a there's a story about too many uh, cow puns that happened during a uh, during an ill fated uh, water deep campaign that I ran that made it to where I wrote all uh, all the things that I loved out of the campaign <laughs> because it was just one pun after another, but. Uh, I'm really excited now because uh, all those people have moved away, so I can run a game now with Minotaurs. <laughs> she can use the puns again, and no one will know they're reused. Well, no, it wasn't me using them. It's like every other person would say something, and I'm like, "That's a that's a meat pun." Or did you just say "move out of the way"? And I'm just like, I'm just like, no, no, and. And made it to where we couldn't play because we were all laughing so hard. Uh, well, Sean, how about you? You have a favorite? Uh, yeah, I do. I have to admit that mine are the orcs. Um, yes. Okay. The, the, yeah, it's okay. No, it's, 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 say yes. Uh, yeah, the orcs in in Eberron are enemies of the demons or or the the demonic forces, uh, and they're they're sort of dark druidic. Uh, beings that are tasked with keeping the lid on the horrible uh, stuff that could come out of the bowels of Kyber. So I've always you know, loved that kind of dark druidic, not necessarily good, but definitely not evil, but just they're doing the thing that needs to be done. It kind of reminds me a little bit, it gives me like a World of Warcraft vibe. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of really connected to the land. It always makes me think of Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing is not exactly super good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And of course, they're in the shadow marches of of Eberron. Um, So it's a marshy, swampy area. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, that just leaves you, Ryan. Well, um, I don't know about an unusual rate. Well, first off, um, I appreciate that there is uh, with like the realm of uh, of madness and dreams and all that there is a nice pl- a way to put illithids back in there or mind flares what's the right term in this edition yes uh, <laughs> there, 
they're my overall favorite D and D uh, race or monster, if you will. Um, but I did want to give a shout out to one that I don't normally pay much attention to in most D and D worlds. But the elves, he's really taken uh, care to make them really cool, and you have a couple of cool options with the elves in this one. How oh, you can... the Undying Court just blew my oh, mind. They're so neat, and how, um, yeah, basically those elves of Arenal, um sort have a form of ancestor worship where they literally keep their ancestors uh, in a state of undeath um, to be there to continue to guide them um, for eternity. Um, and in this world, they use positive energy to maintain themselves. Um, and so the, the whole aesthetic of that with their, you know, sort of death makeup, almost a Dia de los Muertos feel to it, um, I think is really unique and gives elves a sense of regality, but not necessarily um, as pushover as, uh, or as dainty as they may be in other worlds. Um, and then they have the other elf offshoot, the Valinar elves, who are these nomadic um, raiders and, and warriors um, who use totally sweet double-sided scimitars and ride, you know, the best horses in the land. Yep. Yes. <laughs> All of the best horses. Uh, so, we've got a little bit more time still, but I think I kind of want to get into what we want to see from Eberron. Like, what what products do we want to see? What kind of adventures? If you could have an Eberron thing right now, what would you want? Uh, you, you know what, Sean? You've been thinking about this probably the longest, so we'll start with you this time. <laughs> Wait, just before we start, what is an Eberron thing? <laughs> what is an Eberron thing? Um, well, so obviously we've gotten the supplement that kind of tells us that, but um, is there something that was from Eberron before that's not here yet that you want to see, or maybe like a specific kind of product that you're wanting, like a, a type of uh, adventure or mm-hmm. uh, a physical thing, maybe even? I, I don't know. You're, the sky's the limit. Something okay. based on Eberron. I can work with that. Well, first of all, I would be remiss to the other guild adapts if I did not say that the first supplemental product is already out. It's called Encounters in Sharn. And there are, there are 12 mini-adventures uh, all set in in the city of Sharn. So that's there. It's all, all ready for you to get. Now, what, what I would like is a monster book because I'm a DM. Yes. And in the original uh, mm-hmm. Eberron book, there were some really, really cool monsters. Dolgrims. Mm-hmm. Uh, goblins with poor arms that are oh my god i got my Um, ass beat by those things so many yes (laughs) yes so so the first book that i want after an original book are is a monster book so that's what i'm most interested in um the area of of eberron that i'm most interested in is zendrick and it's only because uh during the your third edition living campaign that's where i got to work and it's just such a cool place uh because it's kind of the lost continent where there were great civilizations that have fallen, so we just got uh, we just got done with Chult, unfortunately. So that sort of theme has probably been played on quite well already, but that's where most of my research, most of my writing, took place in Eberron. So that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, no, definitely, it's kind of like your home base. You, you know, got it. No place like home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Let's, let's let's change up the ten page. Let's put you in the middle of the rotation. What do you want? Well, uh, in my infinite spare time, I've been slowly writing a dissertation about the knolls of Faroon. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I, you know, the knolls of of Eberron supplement would be fun. Uh, but after that, after that, I'm not surprised think, by that answer at all. No, nobody is. Um, but after that, I think it might be interesting to kind of get into the Cold War aspects of it and have um, a supplement that offers additional options for spying, magical intercepts, changeling stuff, and then has a cool adventure about some of the um, intercountry espionage going on in, in Eberron. That's cool. Yeah, no, that would be, that sounds super exciting. Um, how about you, Ryan? Well, um, definitely a monster manual was going to be my first. 
he's, my first desire. He's but since that, that one's already been taken, um, and hopefully that'll happen soon. Um, my, I would like to see a orrery, you know, one of those models that has the planet and then all the other uh, moons orbiting around it. So I want to see awesome. that in yep. 3D for Eberron. I want to see all 13 moons cycling around there. I want to see, um, you know, the the you know Sybaris and Kyber and Eberron. Like I want to see the the, the the Underdark, their version of Underdark, and the the Cosmos. I want to see all the different planes orbiting around there somehow. I don't know if, how, what form it takes, whether it's you know um, a, a, a VR world that someone makes, or whether it's a physical you know orrery made out of copper and gears and stuff in a very steampunky style. But that's what I want to see. I would build a shelf if it's a physical one. I would build a special yeah. shelf just for it. Wizards, if you're listening, the nerds would build shelves. I'm not the only one. I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Katie, how about you? You have a whole house full of places for new shelves. What do you want? I do have a whole house full of places for new shelves. I really want... Uh, I, I'm just going to go with the seagull and say uh, Warforged miniatures. I really want these things. Those I don't want. Mm, you know what yeah. I don't want? So I hard don't to find. Warforged mi- mi- miniatures with like weird boobs. <laughs> like, you know Amen. what I mean? Amen. They do not need to have gender signifiers whatsoever. Or like, but, you know what I mean? It's just like I don't need that. Um, also, another thing I need that's very important to me is I need a train job. We have a train here. I need somebody to rob that trade. Why are you stealing my answer? Okay, so what I need, what I need is a Wild West feeling. Lightning rail train robbery. I don't care. Uh, especially if there's, uh, if there's halflings riding dinosaurs along that train to catch that train. I don't even care if it's in a playable adventure. It can be a novel. I just want the story to exist in current day, everyone, so I can take it and use it as, like, setting and lore and backdrop to create this fantastical, just kind of, like, sides, you know, uh, world that, like, my, my players are living in. Be like, alright, so there was recently this great train robbery, and now everyone's up in arms. Because... <laughs> Yeah. No, exactly. So, yes, I need a lightning rail robbery. And it's going to be high stakes, too. Like, we're I don't know what we're stealing yet, but we're stealing It's full of dragon it. shards. They can, yeah. Well, of yeah. course it is. Yeah. It's you know, mentioning but the train so job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mentioning, mentioning the train job makes me realize that there is no plot from Firefly that you could not reskin and play in Eberron. Why are it's you true. stealing my adventure writing ideas? <laughs> All right. Come on, you can't play with somebody in this setting and like play something that's Firefly and people not know what it is. Everyone would immediately know. But yes, everybody says, "Wait, is this guy just Mishka?" They they <laughs> wouldn't not, they wouldn't not enjoy it though. Yeah, they'll, no, they'll immediately know what you're on about, but they're going to have fun all the same. But, I mean, yeah. And your ship your ship could even be, uh, uh, you know, an elemental rig with a fire elemental, so it can be a literal firefly. That's Dude, true. it's true. It is true. Actually, you're the best. Perfect, okay. perfect segue into kind of like the last thing that I want to get into here before we kind of wrap it. So... What other kind of things can you draw, like, inspiration and plot seeds from if you're wanting to run an amazing Eberron adventure or campaign? So, obviously, we've got Firefly. Um, Katie, you're great at this. Oh, poop. You have to pick me, didn't you? I know. I know. Anybody, speak up. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah, just just brainstorm adventure seeds. Our our listeners are going to love this part. Well, I did think of uh, the sort of 1900s feel, um, and and of course, you know, this sort of arcana punk uh, has flavors of, of steampunk to it. Um, so then I started thinking about um, the Prestige, the Christopher Nolan movie. Oh yeah. Ooh, yeah. So, 
something with some kind of arcane machine that was created. Perhaps it's a teleportation machine, right? And then, you know, the, forgive me, I forget which Dragon Mark house is over uh, transportation, but, you know, perhaps they take an interest in this machine that some one-off um, inventor Tesla type has created, um, you know, and, you know, no spoilers, but maybe the machine has the way it teleports you has something extra to it. And maybe that extra, you know, uh, element uh, creates some kind of evil, you know, shadow clones from the plane of shadow or some kind of dream monsters or demons start popping out everywhere. And maybe that can be how the PCs as they're investigating this uh, uh, come and discover this, this arcane machine and it's, you know, crazy creator. Oh, God, that sounds great. Personally, I really I'd play the shit out of that. I would. I'd play yeah. that all day, any day. Okay. Uh, I love the, uh, the Dragon Mark houses and all that intrigue and shit. Um, so what I really want to do is a, uh, like a uh, murder mystery where the guy, the person who's murdered is like one of the higher-ups in one of the Dragon Mark's houses. And, uh, but when they're killed, they're killed in public and they turn into a changeling and then the question becomes, was were they always a changeling? Or... Did they just fake their death? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So, I like that. I would... Oh, that's clever. I had kind of thought, like, I'd gone um, a little bit into my expertise and knowledge of animated films and gone a little bit Studio Ghibli, like Howl's Moving Castle and like the mechanical, magical fueled like house and all of the um, big dirigibles and everything. And just something that kind of like blends this innate sense of magic into where like, okay, cool, there's like this big house just like wandering around and these things dropping out these shape-shifting creatures and like, eh, I mean, everyone's just like, okay, yeah, no, that's a thing, it happens, whatever. <laughs> but also at the same time, you're like, oh god, though, um, we probably should stop this because, yeah, that's a thing that happens, but like, it's not, Maybe a, it shouldn't be. It's not a good thing when it happens. <laughs> so just kind of just like the casual, like, you know, huge wandering mechanical magical artifact or, or something pa of that nature. Powered by a f fire elemental named Calcifer. Well, yeah. I mean, what else would you name it? And he's gotta be grumpy. <laughs> Super grumpy. He's but the problem is, is that I can't do a Billy Crystal voice. Well, I mean, no, neither can I. Sean, <laughs> Sean maybe could. Sean's good at voices. Uh, I, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> not, not that one, not Billy Crystal. Okay. No. <laughs> well, uh, have you got any other good plot seeds? Uh, actually, Katie stole mine, which is the, the Dragon Mark houses. Because when you think of the real world history, at the end of wars, nations generally have less power than they did when they started. But these multinational corporations tend to gain more. Mm -hmm. So kind of a business intrigue where something's going wrong but you're not quite sure what and you're getting the the dragon mark houses fighting each other or trying to make inroads in you know politically and not just economically um and then just expand it from there that that would be my dream um campaign if you're going to talk about a longer term campaign kind of like a high, oh, yeah. high intrigue high drama kind of makes me think house of cards yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of that barbarians at the gate, you know, uh, or or you can go kind of like, cyberpunk with it with the each right. of the houses or the megacorps. Yep, cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. Oh my goodness oh, gracious! You are so smart. It's it's hurting. Get That's out. great. Get out! I love <laughs> I love that and like. <laughs> Yes. My favorite, my favorite adventure I, I, I wrote in Eberron um, was one that I had never seen the movie Saw. Well, I wrote an adventure that was Saw because <laughs> one of the Dalkir, you know, one of the de demonic uh, Kyber creatures, uh, took an interest in the in the party. So he started doing things to mess with them, uh, including sending them into dungeons where he did all these horrible things to to people, and they were trying to 
kind of extract them from these terrible situations. And it was just, it was such, it was horrible and it was very cathartic. Um, and th- that was my favorite small term plot was, was this demonic creature just messing with people. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wrote when I was like way back in like middle school or whatever, a short story on like this improbable biochemical weapon and everything in like this undersea society and like turned into my teacher and he was like oh this is really good and then like one of my classmates is like this is the plot for triple (laughs) x and i'm like and i'm like what is that i was like is that the movie with that ball guy and then like i watched it and i'm like ah damn it There are no new ideas. There's just different variations of existing hey, ones, but that's cool. Triple X didn't have an undersea society. The rest, this is true. The rest of it, though, could have been like straight lifted from the movie. <laughs> I was just like, no new motorcycles movies. and all. Uh, well, you know, they were ocean motorcycles, but sure. <laughs> I was very. Does young. that make does that make them boater cycles? Oh, but um. <laughs> On that note. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the night. Uh, Ryan, why don't you tell all our listeners where they can find you later? Um, Sure. Um, If you are on Twitter, I am not. Just kidding. I have a name on there. It's called Trebay, T-R-E-E underscore B-E-Y. That is a Y reference for y'all. That's a good way to reach me. All right, and, and you can also see me around uh, all the various conventions around Atlanta and the uh, 5e AE uh, or Adventurers Guild. Because Ryan actually lives in Atlanta, unlike me. Yes. <laughs> all right, Sean, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. I'm also on Facebook. I have a podcast of my own called Down with D&D. Uh, which comes out every week. And you can find my work on DMs Guild if you just uh, put in the search term Sean Merwin. Excellent. Definitely recommend everyone check that out if they haven't already. Katie, where can our listeners find you? Oh, I'm kind of secret. I'm a secret, secret squirrel. That's fine. If you don't want anyone to find you, then we'll (laughs) move along. <laughs> All right, Paige, tell everyone where they can find you, and then I'll do me and we'll do the show. All right, if you're looking for me, Paige Lightman, you can find me on uh, Twitter at P A I G E L E I T M A N, or you can find me on the Fifth Edition Facebook group on uh, on Facebook. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Michael Long, who is the owner of that group, because I told him I would. <laughs> All right. You can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook at the same name or pretty much anywhere on the Internet because that is my name. Um, You can also find me. um, I have a couple of things now on the DMs Guild, just like Sean said. No problem time like the present to pimp that and you can find me in a couple of weeks at dragon con all right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my god well, it's so i'll be close. at dragon con too but i don't know if you'll be able to find me you can yeah, allegedly yeah. find all of us except for sean at dragon con in a couple of weeks us and ninety thousand of our closest friends yes allegedly and believe me after like five drinks they are my closest friends yeah. right. <laughs> i could be at dragon con you would never know and we'd never know you know what i'm sure i'll find your doppelganger maybe your changeling uh-uh. <laughs> all right uh you can find the show uh on twitter at D, the letter N, D, round table. On Facebook at the DND round table. You can also email us your comments, suggestions, feedbacks, criticism, um, and hopefully. Weird not, questions. Hopefully not. We take weird questions. Mail, but we'll accept that as well. To D, the letter N, D, 
roundtable at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening to us. Uh, go on about Eberron. Um, listen to us on thetomeshow.com and we'll be posting this up soon. And I think that's it. Paige, you want to say goodbye? One, one more thing. Stay tuned for the next show where we're going to talk about Ravnica, the other new setting for D&D. And I yes. can't wait because I kind of want to take Ravnica and Eberron and make them kiss. Oh, I know. <laughs> They're perfect together. Perfect together. Uh, Alright. Well, thank you everyone for listening. 